0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Hope you're doing well. Um, We are a month into the year, and uh, you may have come in this morning and noticed uh, we started the book of Romans. Are we already jumping out of it? Yes. Yes. Uh, we're going to jump in and out of it about four different times throughout the year. Um, in the late spring, early summer, we're going to uh, take a stint and walk through First John. Um, right now, we're going to uh, come out uh, for this month, and we are going to kind of do a surface look at the book of First Peter. Uh, I hope and pray that you will actually see how it very relevantly ties to where we ended Uh, Last week there in completing Romans chapter 1, if you're bummed that we're not going to be in Romans for this month, I will just remind you, um, it's available for you to read. Um, So chew on it lots, we're coming back to it. Um, Once or twice a year, we we visit this series called Foundations. Um, What is a foundation? It's the underlying basis for something. Uh, it's what you lay down to build everything else on top of. Um, when we're speaking in terms of the church and we talk about our foundations, we're talking about who, we're, who we are, what we're called to, and how exactly that's lived out uh, together. And so as I said, um, in February we're going to walk through 1 Peter and we're going to key in on what Peter says about living on mission together. Um, caring for one another, um, sharing the gospel, and walking in hope together. Uh, it will definitely be a surface scratch because uh, there's no way you could uh, really, really um, dig deep into First Peter in any less than like eight weeks. And we're going to do it in four. So fasten the old seatbelt. belt. Um, 1 Peter, very important to understand the context where Paul is very typically writing to a church. Uh, He's writing to people that he knows or a church that's gathered. He's writing to the church in Philippi or the church in Ephesus. Peter is writing to Christians spread out. Um, He's writing this letter to what he will, in a minute you'll see, um, says are the exiles, the people who have been dispersed from Jerusalem. It was written during a time that's actually called the diaspora or the dispersion. So as you know, Pentecost, um, everyone comes to Jerusalem. And in the beginning of the book of Acts, everyone is in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And this is when the Holy Spirit initially falls on God's people and uh, they are all filled and the New Testament church begins. Right before this, Jesus had given very specific instructions to his disciples. He said, you are to go and make disciples. He also said, "Um, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so time passes, and the church is growing like wild there in Jerusalem. Um, But the thing is, everybody's still in Jerusalem, Apparently, they heard the you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem part, and from there it all trailed off like Charlie Brown's teacher. Um, nobody was going to Judea, Samaria, or moreover to the ends of the earth. And so, what happens is it took persecution to push God's people out in the directions where Jesus had told them to go. You don't think God will allow trials in your life? He will. Um, Sometimes he allows them in our life to push us in the directions where he's been trying to tell us to go. And so there are now many Christians in these places that were hostile to Christianity and filled with unbelief. Let's uh, connect this and contextualize it for a moment. Most of us operate under the idea that our world that our nation, that our culture is becoming more secular. Secularization uh, means becoming less religious. It means separating from faith. Um, you might not believe this, but the truth is our world is actually becoming more religious and not less the greater problem that we are facing is not secularization, it's pluralization. It's, it's that nobody's believing that the meal that we all need has been prepared for us, but that the buffet needs to be bigger so that I have more choices. The choices just continue to expand. This is called pluralism. The idea that, well, there's all these different ways to God. We're all going to get there somehow. What pluralism has done, uh, I will say, uh, it's not necessarily making America more secular, but it's definitely not making it more Christian either. This has been incredibly hard and difficult and painful for many of us because we've grown up in Christendom what is Christendom? Did you learn that word in seminary? You just feel like you need to use it on us this morning? What is Christendom? Christendom is the connectivity of the spiritual. It is what we would call the Christian world. Um, Christendom is the worldwide body or society of Christians. It's the alliance between church and state that Uh, began dominating Europe as far back as Constantine. Uh, Again, it doesn't really sound like it on the surface, but it's why our people left England and came here. Because one began to be so connected to the other. Um, Even though America was not founded on this. Excuse me, it was founded on the separation of church and state. Uh, The colonials came here to get away from that. The reality of it is we've had the nature and the roots of Christendom woven into the thread of our country from the very, very beginning. And so the Christian faith um, wasn't just allowed or permitted. It wasn't tolerated. It's been favored and favor, you know what favor brings along with it? it? It can bring influence. And I'm pretty sure that most of you in this room this morning are aware of the fact that influence spells power. Okay? It spells power. And while we would say that the church has never ruled over our government, the reality is that the church has had influence over our government from the very, very beginning. And I'm not here this morning to say that that's a good thing, bad thing, right thing, wrong thing, but I'm telling you, it is the thing. It is the facts. And so the influence that that's had on you and I is, we have grown up, many of us as Christians, believing that with being a Christian has brought influence and power. And that's our heritage. That's our past, that's our history. Now let's talk about our present reality. There are 85 million unchurched Americans. Um, many of those unchurched Americans may be what we might call dechurched. They were in church, but they've come to the conclusion of, yeah, I don't so much need that anymore. There are many of those who they've never been and they don't have any intent to go. There are 85 million Americans that right now have zero thought or intention of ever being part of a Sunday morning church service. Now, people are obviously still coming to church. We're here this morning, aren't we? The church is still gathering for worship. But the number of people who are open to the Christian way of life, to Christian traditions, the number of people who are open or care anything about Christendom is rapidly decreasing. And so sensitivity to Christendom is rapidly decreasing and dropping. Why does this matter for us, friends? Well, because if we want to reach the 85 million which, by the way, when I say want, um, we don't really get that. If we're going to reach the 85 million, which we are called to do, um, we can no longer simply think of church as meeting on Sunday. That's, this is not the whole of the picture. Sunday is when the people of God, at least here in America, gather together corporately. But this is not the ultimate goal. Remember, what were Jesus' instructions and his commands? If you're a Christ follower, I'll remind you this morning, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them. And be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, And to the ends of the earth. And Jesus said to the disciples, and by the way, I will build my church. When you go and you live on mission, and you live on mission, and you live on mission, the church will inevitably, it will be there. Out of necessity, the church will grow. Friends, it is only when we accept. ...that we are no longer living in the privileged center. And let me sit on that for a moment and emphasize it. You and I as Christians are no longer sitting in the privileged center... It is only when we realize this and that we realize that we are being pushed and have been pushed to the margins that we will truly and effectively be the church that the world needs. Only then. We have to move from the mindset and the lifestyle of a settler to a sojourner. What does a settler say? A settler says and thinks, this is my land, get your butt off. I beat you here, my wagon was faster than yours, this is mine. I'm here to take care of it, you can come on if I want you to. A sojourner says, this is not my home, I'm just passing through, thank you for your hospitality. Is there anything I can do to bless you on my way through? sound a little bit different don't they our mindset has to shift peter had all of this in mind when he wrote this letter so take a look with me first peter first peter chapter 1 verse 1 he writes this is peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, He knew you were going to be there in the sanctification of the Spirit. Um, he's going to refine you while you're there for obedience. who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, so that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter begins by reminding us of our heritage, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, conquered sin and death. And so because of this heritage, our present reality is that in and through Christ, we have been born again to a living hope. The source of our hope, Jesus, is alive. The hope itself is living. It's active. It cannot be pushed down or away. And so because of this heritage and this present reality, then Peter keys in on the future. So now we have this inheritance that we look forward to that is imperishable. You can't destroy it. It's undefilable. You can't ruin it. It's unfading. It won't go away. Because of Jesus Christ, we have this living, unshakable hope. And Peter says, and man, you're going to need it you're going to need this living hope because we're going to face trials of many kinds. And as we walk through these trials, we have this eternally significant opportunity to become more like Christ and to bring Him glory through our obedience to Him. Verse 13. Understanding all this, therefore... He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter says, for us to live out this hope that we have in Christ, we have to set our minds and purify our lives. Um, David Helm wrote a commentary on First Peter, and he puts it this way. The Christ follower has a healthy mind and a holy life. That's got to be what we're striving for on a day-to-day basis, a healthy mind, a holy life. We've got to progressively, continually set our minds on Christ. And we do this by being transformed by his word through his spirit. Peter says a result of this is going to be that we must leave behind the things that we used to do in the flesh. We must leave behind, Peter's words, our former ignorance, the passions of our former ignorance, that we ought to be purified, that we are being sanctified. And so in the midst of this, we also have to remember that the people around us are not the enemy. They're not the people of whom we do not speak. They're people who are like we were. They're walking in ignorance. They're walking in darkness. And Peter is saying, don't forget where you once were. Remember last week we... Looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, where Paul says, Here are all the people who are not going to inherit the kingdom if you walk here. And then Paul says, and such were some of you. Really, in fact, such were all of us. Remember, the, these folks around us walking in darkness, they didn't necessarily pick to be there. They're not the enemy. They're walking where we once walked keep this in mind. That said, we are called to no longer walk in that way. Abandon the way of the flesh. And yes, in doing so, you might stick out. Sitting around thinking, well, how do we do a good job of, you know, blending into the culture? Waste of time, Peter says. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to stick out like a sore thumb. You are supposed to be visible. Your life is supposed to echo eternity in the way that it's being lived. Leave behind the passions of your former ignorance. And how all of this happens, Peter says it here in verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be yours. This is what's so mind-blowing about where you and, and I get to walk and live is that we're in this place of knowing that we have tasted the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God while knowing that we haven't even begun to fully taste and see the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. It's going to be fully realized at some point. We've just seen a glimpse. If Christ has reconciled us back to the Father, Peter says, We have been born again to a living hope. Peter, and I think that we'll give him a pass on this, like, okay, you get to do that. Peter steals Jesus' words. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And this is where we get John 3, 16, that we all know. Peter says here, remember what Jesus said, you've been born again to a living hope. What does it mean for you and I to be born again? It means new life. It means that Brian, the guy who was dead in his sin, can now say, I am now alive in Christ, new life. New life means new identity. Why do I need a new identity? Well, because I was Brian, the sinful man. Now, according to Paul, my life is hidden with Christ in God. New identity. Definitely need the new identity. Friends, new life, new identity. You know what that means? It means new citizenship. You've heard me say this before, and you will hear me say it probably a hundred times again unless Jesus comes back, and let's pray that happens first. I am a resident of Madison, Alabama, proud to be but I am a citizen of the kingdom of God and that changes everything see Paul says here in verse 1 and remember he says it in the very first verse he says it again in verse 17 you're going to hear him say it all throughout the letter he calls them exiles to the exiles who have been pushed out to the strangers out there To the foreigners and aliens, to the immigrants, to the refugees, that's you and me. That's who we are. Spiritually, we are these immigrants, these temporary residents, these exiles. We don't belong here. And so understand, we don't have the rights of the citizens, And this is where I'm going to start to lose you, so I'm going to hope to reel you back in here. A lot of us, we get some fire in our pants about the idea of them taking the Ten Commandments out of a courtroom. I would submit to you this morning, we don't need the Ten Commandments in a courtroom. The Beatitudes, yes, maybe just slap the whole sermon on the mount up in a courtroom. That might be effective. Maybe you should, I should not worry so much about them being up in a courtroom, and we should put them up in our bathroom and our bedroom. Because let's remember, Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law, I came to fulfill it. And I would encourage you this afternoon, because again, there's nothing to do this evening, um, <laughs> go read the Sermon on the Mount. And take a look at what Jesus says. He very much disrupts are thinking about where and how we live. Because Jesus says, you've heard it said, and and not from some idiot on the corner, like the law says this, don't commit murder. Well, I'm telling you, don't even harbor anger in your heart toward your brother. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Well, I tell you, don't even let lust Camp out in your mind. Now let's really get up in our, our business. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said that retaliation and that restitution, as long as everything's even, that's fair game. no. Because I'm here to tell you if some jerk comes up and says, hey, give me your coat, give him your shirt too. If somebody slaps you on your left cheek, offer them your right. I'm here to tell you not to just tolerate your enemy, but to love them and pray for them. Why? Because Jesus is saying, you are no longer citizens of this place. Those may be your rights, but do you remember what the apostle Paul said about Jesus in Philippians 2? Though he was God, he did not what? Cling to his rights as God. Here's our problem. Our heritage of Christendom tells us those are our rights because we have influence and we have power. Our heritage as Christ's followers says we don't. Friends, hear me please. Many of us have been following American Christianity but not following Jesus. And it's making it really, really difficult for us. Worlds are colliding. Peter said they were going to. Jeremiah, when he wrote to the exiles in Babylon, false prophets had been telling them, oh, hang, hang in there. It's all going to be good. You're going to go home real soon. Buck up. Jeremiah writes a note and says, nope, they're all liars. You're going to be here a really, really, really long time. Really long. And so here's the thing. While you're here, man, grow a garden. Love your neighbor. Walk in hope and purity that God will never leave you and never forsake you. Let your kids marry. Raise them up to know the Lord. Be a light in the darkness. Do it all for the sake of the city where I have sent you to be ambassadors for my kingdom. I know that you're there. I sent you there. I pushed you out there because you wouldn't go on your own. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Jesus saved us and sanctifies us For a sincere and brotherly love. Let me tell you and show you this morning how important one little word can be. Peter did not say Jesus saved us and sanctifies us to a sincere and brotherly love. He says that Jesus saved us and sanctifies us for it. I saved you for this. This is why I saved you. This is my purpose. Friends, we live out the manifestation of our salvation when we love one another. We live out the evidence of what Christ has done in us when it's displayed through us toward one another. Jesus, the night before he died, you have to imagine, did not just randomly or recklessly toss his words out he chose very, very carefully what he said to his disciples because it was all going to come to fruition. It was all going to be made clear in about 24 hours. And one of the very first things that he says to them in John 13, look there with me, John 13, 34, he tells them a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, not the way the world loves, the way I have exemplified it for you. And then Jesus says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. What are we called to? To love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why are we called to this? Because Christ has given us this living hope. And if you have this living hope, and I have this living hope, and you have this living hope, it needs to be brought together that we might live it out together. And how is this done? Through the corporate sanctification of the living and abiding word of God. Here's what Peter says, through the living and abiding word of God. It is through the fellowship that you and I have under the authority of and built on the foundation of God's living word. Throughout the New Testament, there are these things we refer to as the one another's. There's like 50 some of them. Jesus tosses tons of them out, but so do Paul and Peter and John and James Things like love one another. Speak the truth to one another in love. Encourage one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Carry one another's burdens. Friends, I would encourage you today to try and figure out how you could possibly do any, moreover all of those, but any of those outside the context of community. It can't be done. Christians walking and living on mission together. That's where one another's take place. Now, here at the Brook, we call this missional community, and we call it that for a reason. But if I'm being really honest with you, you know, if it's called life groups, small groups, uh, I don't know, we all like grass and flowers group. I, I don't really care what you call it. The purpose is, the, the priority is, if you and I, and you and you and you, if we are walking in Christ together, living on mission together, exhorting one another toward him, that's what matters. There's a book called Everyday Church. Um, Steve Timmis and Tim Chester wrote this book just a few years ago. And the book book is really an exposition of 1 Peter and what Peter says. This is how the church ought to look in a culture that is hostile to it. I want to read to you this morning something that they say in their book. Brotherly love is not a byproduct of purification by obedience to truth. It is its purpose. So let's make sure we don't misunderstand this. Brotherly love isn't something that's just going to come out of that. It's the purpose behind it. We have been born again for brotherly love. That's Peter's word there. The Christian community is not a happy byproduct of our salvation or a convenient help to individual Christians. Side note... If I join a missional community just so that I'll have some people that, hey, maybe they can help me take care of my kids if something goes wrong or they'll bake me a lasagna if I'm sick. No. That's not why you and I need Christian community. Now, is that sometimes a byproduct of it? Yes. But if we go searching just for community, we won't find this. If we are living on mission together we will find community. We have been saved to be God's holy people, to be Christ's bride, to be a new family. Peter is not just talking about a Sunday morning service. He's talking about a living as a community that loves one another sincerely from the heart and is deeply engaged in the lives of each one in sharing life together. I think that you're aware that the one another's cannot take place in here on Sunday morning. They don't. I mean, we have like two and a half minutes of let's greet one another. And some of you, in all honesty, are like a frightened turtle just from that. Like, oh my gosh, I got to shake somebody's hand. You do. And in fact, you got to actually get into the mess of somebody else's life as well. And You've got to be open and vulnerable enough that they be welcomed into the mess of your life also. And if that is lacking right now, it's possibly you are not seeing the fulfillment of living hope being expressed through your life. Doing life together means having these interruptible lives. That's one of our core values here at the Brook interruptible lives. That you and I have to be willing to be okay with the doorbell ringing sometimes. That our lives are intentional. You, you know this, but let me remind you this morning. Relationships don't happen on accident. Especially not ones of spiritual depth. They won't just occur. You look back and go, Whoa, look at that. It won't happen. You and I have to pray and work and cultivate that in our lives. The world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. The world will know that you belong to me by the way that you sacrifice for each other. The world will see the living hope that you have when it is visible through your lives. Let me put it to you this way. Our living hope in Christ is seen through our living sacrifice toward one another. This living hope that Peter says you and I were born again to, the world sees it when they see the loving and the living sacrifice in our lives toward one another. Let me give you 1 Peter chapter 1, Cliff Notes version. Peter says we have living hope. We've been born again to a living hope. And if you walk in that, it leads to obedient lives. And our obedient lives will lead to brotherly loved, lived out in community. I don't know everybody in the room this morning. I don't know where everybody's coming from. But you might be here this morning and have been tempted to think, Oh, hey, you know, me or my family, we got this. We're good on our own. No, you're not. And if you think that, I will assure you, you evidently have not walked through the valley of the shadow of death yet. Because when I have walked there, and it's been more than once, I would not have kept walking without my Christian brothers and sisters, without my church family. If we're going to walk in Christ, with Christ, be a light in the darkness, if we're going to reach the 85 million that we're called to reach, that right now have no intention of waking up this morning and coming and joining us for this, if we're going to exude the living hope that we have been given, we will not do it on our own. We won't. If we're going to live as exiles here, called to reach our temporary homeland together, encouraging and exhorting one another toward Christ, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging, pushing one another toward Jesus through the living and abiding word of God, we will only accomplish this by living on mission together, worshiping together. Growing together, serving together, sharing the gospel together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Therefore, prepare your minds, be sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we thank you for your spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have sent the spirit to comfort us, to convict us, um, to affirm in us that we belong to the Father, to remind us that the temporary things of this world They will never satisfy our souls. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have come and you have not only filled this place, but that you have filled us. That because of you, we are now the the temple of the living God. Lord Jesus, we pray that through your spirit and your word this morning that you would bring us to a place of obedience. Lord, that you would bring us to a place of vulnerability, of humility. Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out Lord, for some of us in this room this morning, would you bring us to a place of being willing to let someone else carry the burden with us? Lord, we pray that you would just crush our pride. Lord, for others this morning, would you bring us to a place of, of realizing in order for me to carry my brother and my sister's burden I've got to really I've got to really wade into the depth of their life Lord we pray that you would stir a fire within us today to live on mission for the gospel, to live out this living hope that we have, Lord, and to do it together. Lord Jesus, in these moments as we respond to you, we we proclaim that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're the only one worthy of our praise. Be exalted in this place.